put that together you know I mean they do such a good job setting us up for just to be able to learn so it's cool well our series is called behind the scenes and uh, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 and in this passage of scripture my prayer for you is this we're going to see four descriptors of who Jesus Christ is and my prayer for you is that you'll be able to walk out of here and you'll be able to lock one of those in your mind and what we're going to see is this, as we look behind the scenes, we're going to see what was the condition of the people in the Old Testament by the time that we get to Isaiah chapter 9. Because here's what we know. You know this to be true as well as I do when you think about your own life. When you know the backstory, when you know your backstory, you really appreciate the end game. And so my goal this morning is, one, that we would be able to walk out of here with just one thing that would stand out to us, but two, that you would also be able to leave here today and you would have a great appreciation for what we're celebrating this time of year because you've understood the backstory. Isn't it true that when you know the backstory, you tend to appreciate a whole lot more the end game? Some of you have had this experience. You've maybe you've built a business or you've worked really hard at being the kind of person that you want to leave a personal legacy. And so you've built into that who you are as a person or, or maybe you've built into a family or a team or a, a you've begun or you've been a part of a nonprofit. And here's the thing. You know and you appreciate deeply where you are today because you've seen behind the scenes. You've pulled the curtain back. And you've seen the backstory. You know what's gone into things behind the scenes. When you understand the steps, your appreciation continues just to grow and grow and grow. We're going to see this morning this. We're going to see the backstory of God's people. And what we're going to see is that it wasn't pretty. It was actually far from pretty. It was really hard. Maybe even your own backstory, you would look at it and you would go, boy, there are some things in my backstory that I go, whoa. Those have shaped me in some pretty dramatic ways, and maybe some of them were actually some pretty big bumps. The context that we're going to see leading up to Isaiah chapter 9, where we're going to land this morning, is this. It's that God's people, they were in complete despair. 
I mean, their conditions, you could say, they were brutal. They'd just been overrun by the Assyrian Empire. And so their families had been decimated. Their, their economy, you could say it this way, their economy was in complete shambles. Things were horrible, worse than you can probably even imagine. And the reason why they were the way they were and the, they were facing the, the, the incredible challenges that they were is because of the decisions that they had made. These people hadn't been following God closely. These people had actually been giving God the hand. Maybe you can think of times in your own life, in your backstory, where you gave God the hand. And you know how that is. At the time, it just seems like what you're doing, and then later on, you deal with that. That's what these people we're going to see we're dealing with. And so my prayer for you this morning is this. One, that you'd be able to look over your own backstory, and that you'd be able to take away one of these four things that we're going to look at as, as we kind of wrap up today. But also, as we look at the backstory of where these people came from, as we look at the backstory, as we look behind the scenes at what got them to where they are and what kind of seeds was, was God dropping all the way so that they would have this picture of who God is, what does that do to them? We see this. It gives them this sense of great anticipation. And so I hope that you'll leave here today with a great sense of anticipation around this time of year. Um, I was on a walk with our dog because we have a dog now and that's what I do. Um, <laughs> And it was, uh, you know, it was early in the morning, sure love that, and uh, it was dark outside, and a lot of the neighbors still had their Christmas lights on, and, and so I, I walked past this uh, blown-up manger scene, you know those blow-up things, and, and at first I was a little afraid that the dog was going to go up and bite a hole in it, and we'd be in big trouble, and we'd bite a hole in the foot of Jesus or something, and you know, that'd be bad for a pastor especially, and anyway, so that didn't happen, so we kept going, and I thought of this as we walked by this blow-up manger scene that morning. I thought this, I thought to myself, you know, if you don't know the backstory, it's really hard to appreciate the scene. If, if you don't, like, if you don't really know the backstory, it's hard to appreciate that. If you don't understand the backstory of everything that went into, everything, the, the details even, of what led up to the birth of Jesus Christ, it's incredibly hard to, and to, to appreciate the backstory. The same is true of your own life. If somebody doesn't know your backstory, it's hard to appreciate where you are today. So this morning, before we go to Isaiah chapter 9, what we're going to do, and that's where things are really going to culminate for us, I want us to go behind the scenes. And I want to look at what's the backstory that led these people to the place that they were, and what were the kinds of things that God was dropping all along the way so that they would look with great anticipation at this incredible promise that God was giving them. Because we see all throughout the Old Testament that it remarkably points to the coming of Jesus Christ. And it would have given the listeners and the people of God at that time a great anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. Our Old Testament, two-thirds, think of this, two-thirds of our Bible story is the backstory. And it has such significance to the birth of Jesus Christ and everything around it. And so I want to kind of fly a little bit high for a second here. Hang with me. And I want to take you through what are some of the things that went into the backstory? What are some of the things that were a part of the, the fact that when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, we've got a group of people that are living in really horrible circumstances. Their lives have some severe needs in them. Maybe you think about your own backstory this morning and you go, I'm in a place where I've got some severe needs. And I hope for you this morning as we talk about four things that describe the character of God that you'll be able to go, you know what, that's the one that's never been a part of my backstory. But oh, if I could cling to it this morning, it would write a future story that God would love for me to have. That if I could get that into my 
maybe it wasn't in my backstory, but if I can cling to this truth that we're going to see from the scriptures this morning, that God would want to write then for my future story, something that's maybe even beyond what I could ask for or imagine. So let's do this. Let's kind of go to the beginning of the backstory. It starts in Genesis, as you know, and, and God created things. And as you know, many of you do, that God, when he created things, he created them, and they were good. The apex of God's creation was he created man and woman, and he created them in his own image But it doesn't take us long in reading through the Bible to realize this. It doesn't take us long that what was good didn't stay good. We realize that there was deception early on and Adam and Eve were a part of that just like you would have been, just like I would have been. And we realize that what was good quickly became not good and it became broken. And what became broken then needed to be fixed. And so you fast forward, Genesis chapter 3, it's the aftermath of Adam and Eve's sin against God, and, and they just gave God the hand. You can relate to that. I can relate to that. But in the midst of that and their sin against God, even as they're realizing how their sin corrupted creation and themselves, in the midst of that, God makes this promise. And it's this promise that we can't miss. And it's tucked into the consequences that God places on this serpent is when we see this even come to life, this deception. And it says this, this is such a key verse in the scriptures, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between you, it's talking about the serpent there, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And then listen to this, this is the promise that you can't miss this morning. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, Christian theologians for really throughout the history of the church, have been calling this verse the first gospel. The first gospel because it's the first glimpse into the fact that Satan's deception will not be the final word. Satan will not get the the final word on this. Satan in the end will not win, but God will be victorious. And so know this, if you're new to the scriptures, know this, from the earliest pages of the Old Testament, we're told, and God in the midst of even that earliest deception gives them a promise, we're told throughout the Old Testament to anticipate a day when the death grip of sin, and you know this, if you've ever experienced any pain or problem in your backstory, it's because of sin, it's the effect of that. But what Genesis 3.15 tells us is this, that it will not always be that way. That evil will not prevail. And so then for the rest of the Old Testament, God's people, they're looking forward to this rescue from this state of sin that you and I live in. And God's people, they're expecting and they're clinging to this idea that there's this promise that God has made and that God is going to fulfill his promise. And I'll be honest with you, when you really think about it, it's amazing. And we're going to see some of the detail even behind it. As you read through the Old Testament, this promise that God made to his people, it becomes more and more clear. It's like the picture goes from black and white to analog to HD and then to VR. Do you remember the first time that you saw something in HD? We were at Nebraska Furniture Mart and I looked it up at the TVs and I said, babe, we got to get one of those because that picture is clear. And as we go through the Old Testament, we see over and over again, the picture of the promise becomes more and more clear. And so I want to take you to some of the backstory elements so that we can appreciate this whole manger scene. So that when you walk by it, it's not just a blow up. It's something even more significant. And then the way, the way that Jesus Christ is described, that enters into your backstory. 
And that enters right into my backstory, and it can write a future story. So when we peel back the curtain, we see this. First, I just want to mention some of these. We see throughout, again, we get these little tidbits throughout Scripture that are pointing to this promise. They're pointing to this future promise, this future hope. So the first one, that we see this, that this descendant is going to come from Eve is Jesus Christ. And we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, that Jesus is going to be a prophet that is greater than, not equal to, Moses. It's going to be greater than Moses. Uh, then we see this, this descendant from Eve is going to be a king that's greater than King David. And to the listeners at that time, that would have been a mind popper. And we see that, though, in 2 Samuel, verse 7. Uh, he's going to be greater than David. In Psalm 2, the, this Jesus Christ is called the Lord's anointed. Psalm 22, he's called the righteous sufferer. Again, this would have created anticipation. Who is he? He's coming. There's a promise. What does he look like? Oh, wow. Where's he from? Oh, my goodness. That's what he's like? You, we want that. It would have created anticipation after anticipation and after anticipation. We get to Isaiah chapter 7 and it's foretold. And just think of the detail here that Jesus Christ is going to come from a virgin and he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this was huge because God, in, in, in their minds, God it wasn't that close. It wasn't that intimate. But that God was going to come and dwell with us. It was huge. And then we see Isaiah chapter 53, and we realize that this king is going to come in a different form. He's actually referred to as the suffering servant. He's the one that would die, and his death would accomplish something that is so remarkable for every person in this room. And then Micah chapter 5, he's the one who will be born. And I love the detail that we get in the scriptures. He's the one that will be born. Think about this. This is a small detail, but it happened. And it makes your faith even stronger. It says hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, it says where he'd be born, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And so for thousands of years, as we walk through the Old Testament, there's this sense of anticipation. Now, when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, we're 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we read about is that this child has the ability to change your backstory. And if you feel like your backstory doesn't need any attention, I might disagree with you because I think when you realize where God hasn't been in your backstory, it allows you to, to put him into your future story. And what we're going to see is this, that this child would be different. Now, I, I know every parent in here, when you have a baby, you feel like, well, my child is different. They're special. They're more special, actually, than other babies. You ever felt that way? Don't lie. I know you have, right? But Jesus was extra special. There was something unique about him. There was something about him that when he was described, it would have given them hope, would have given them anticipation. It would have allowed this group of people, this, this nation of people that they'd been living, giving God the hand, and they were paying the consequences of it. That's their backstory. It would have given them something to anticipate, to say, God, if that's true, if that's really who you are, you'll write a completely different future story for us. And so I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 with you. We're going to focus just on those two verses. It says this. It says, For to us a child uh, is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and, and we're going to come back to these words. He is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Can you imagine a government with complete character and integrity? I know it's early. I'm stretching you this morning. I know that's hard, you know, right? But imagine that. Imagine a government that is completely perfect and that reigns forever. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And just, again, this is just like it was said in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Establishing and upholding it with justice, isn't this beautiful? With justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So now what I want to do is I want to go back to these four statements. These four phrases. And as we go through them, I want you just to ask the question, Lord, is there one of these that you would have for me? Lord, is there one aspect of who you are that I've never really applied to my life? That my backstory is void of this, but if I were this morning to say that's the one, that's the aspect of God that I've never embraced, if I was to embrace that now, it would write a future story that not only I would smile on, but God would smile on. So the first one is this. We're going to look at this first descriptor. It's descriptor. It's wonderful counselor. Have you ever had a great counselor? You ever had somebody in your life that you just felt like, wow, every time I talk to them, they direct me in the right way. They help me see, don't go that way, go this way. They remind me, hey, you're a person of character. Don't take the short road. Have you ever had a person like that? Not only is God a capital C counselor, but Jesus Christ, it says this, he is a wonderful counselor. This is why, and you might wonder, why do we continually at this church, why do we say, boy, if you'll read the scriptures every day, why do we do things like, you know, the 365 stuff? Why do we get so excited? Why do we celebrate when hundreds of you say, I'll give that a shot, I won't be perfect, but boy, I'm going to try to sit before God 15 minutes every day, pan out, Bible open. You know why we celebrate that again and again? It's this. It's because God longs to be your wonderful counselor. And his words aren't stagnant. They're, they're actually alive and they're living and, and, and they're, they can speak into your life. Have you ever been reading and you just saw something and you just go, oh, I needed that. Yesterday I was listening to this sermon because you all listen to music, but I'm a pastor, so I always just listen to sermons. And so anyway, I'm listening to this sermon, and, and this pastor, he, he said something. He pointed out a verse in the scriptures, and it's just what I needed right then. And I just thought to myself, you know what? Jesus, in your, God, your word, you're my wonderful counselor. Like, I needed that, and you directed me. Some of you have had that aha moment when you realize that you're not reading God's word just for information. But when you open it up, you're doing it with such a posture that you're saying, God, I want to interact with you because I'm your child and you love me and you want to talk to me. I mean, that's amazing. God, you, God, you, are, you are a wonderful counselor. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, it teaches us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's a teacher. He's a friend. He's the wisdom of God. He gives good counsel. Matthew chapter 11, and I believe just this point alone is why some of you are here this morning. Think about this wonderful counselor kind of thing. Matthew 11, Jesus says this, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Think about that as an invitation from your wonderful counselor. Not come to me and I'll load you up. Not come to me and I'll remind you what else you need to do. But would you come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest? That's not just a counselor, that's a wonderful one, right? So we keep going. Look at me at this, the second one. It's this, 
The second descriptor, and again, I want you just to pick out one this morning. Which one have you never had in your backstory that you desperately need to have in your future story? The story that God would love to write for your life. Second one is this. It's that, that God is uh, Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. We saw this in Matthew chapter 7 this week in our Bible reading stuff. <laughs> Matthew 7, the scene is that they're out in this boat and, and there's this horrible storm that comes about and and you, you maybe you've read this story before, and if you've ever been in a, in a storm in a boat, it's horrifying. And so this storm comes, and the waves are going over the sides of the boat, and the disciples are absolutely freaking out. And so they wake Jesus up, and they're kind of perturbed that he's even asleep. And so then he responds to them and that, and then he calms the storm, and then they say this of him. They say, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, here's what we know for sure. When those guys parked the boat that day, they had no doubt in their mind. They worshiped a mighty God, a God who could do anything. Maybe for you this morning, you would say this, you're your mighty God. And maybe it's with one part of your life where you've just said, I, I can get our marriage together and I can do this and we can be, we can be okay and I can lead these kids and I can get this business off the ground and, and, and everything in your life, it's, it's you, like you're the mighty God. And so maybe for you this morning, you just say, I've been the one in charge all my life. But when I say that God is the mighty God, that means that mighty God is here and mighty Jeff gets to go right here. And, and, and what's beautiful about that is this, you were never meant to be mighty God. But mighty God would love to do things in your life that you feel like are way too far out for you. He would love to. Because why? Because he's mighty God. That's the truth of who your God is. If you embrace that with your story. The question that I just came to my mind again and again is this. Have you allowed Jesus Christ to be your mighty God? Is that a part of your story? When someone when, when, you know, Christian language says this, I, I, I became a Christian or uh, uh, God got a hold of my life. And you, maybe you've never understood what that means. Basically, it means this. It means that you go from I'm the mighty God to my mighty God is Jesus Christ, which means I submit to him. I revere him. Like he, he is the wiser one to run my life than me. That's what mighty God means. The third descriptor, I, I love this. It's everlasting Father. And those words are so strong. Think about this, everlasting father. From Revelation chapter one, clear, it says this, that he is everlasting, meaning that he created things and he will be there from the beginning all the way to the end. That's who he is, everlasting father. I don't know if you saw this in Matthew chapter seven in our, our reading this week. Think about this. This is the kind of father that we have. It said this in Matthew seven. It says, ask, this is, this is, your God talking to, to us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I mean, think about that. That's the kind of relationship. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, imagine that. You're on a date, you're at the donut shop. I'll take a donut, but give my son a rock. Yeah, I mean, you don't do that, right? Or if you ask for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, meaning though you, because this is true of you and me, we are all in this category where we sin. 
Even though that's where we are, even though we know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If you have kids or if you know kids, um, you know this. A kid that pleases their parent is typically someone who communicates well. Like when my kids talk to me and they tell me this is going well or this isn't going well, as a parent, I love that. Do you know why I love that? Because I love them. Maybe you've never heard this before. God loves to love you. He loves to love you. Psalm 139, we read that this morning. So It says this, one of the verses. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And oftentimes, isn't it true that we think a lot about how can I pursue God? What can I do to get closer to him? But what I love about the Psalm 139 is this. It's all about how intimately God knows you. It's about how much God loves you. You. It's to the lengths that God's gone to understand everything about you. That God is for you. He's an everlasting father. Sometimes when we're riding in the truck, and my kids are getting a little bit older now, but I still have a, a seven-year-old as our youngest, and, and so I can still do this with him. And so when I'm riding in the truck and, you know, I'm, I'm driving, sometimes I'll do this. I can't see him, but I can reach back there, and he's in the middle seat, kind of that little booster still. And And so I'll reach into the back seat, and I'll put my hand just like this open on Easton's lap. And what he'll do is this, just instinctively now, he'll just grab my hand, and we'll just kind of hold hands there for a minute. And what I'm trying to to, to communicate to him is this. I'll say it with words, Easton, but there are times where I just want you to know, hey, I'm your dad. I just wanted to hold your hand. We don't talk about it. It's not weird. But it's just this small communication. You're like, yeah, it's kind of weird. No, no, it's really not. But it's this small communication of, Easton, I love you, and I'm your dad. And, and while we were driving, I was just thinking about you. That's all it is. Know this, God loves to love you. He loves to love you. He is an everlasting, this is such a key word for you. He's an everlasting father. He's for you. When you think about your backstory, have you ever had that kind of a father? And if you haven't, imagine what your future story could look like if you embraced him in that way. And then the last one, I'll close with this. It's, it's described as this. He's described as the prince of peace. You know, I don't know about you. Seasons of our lives, our family's lives are surely characterized by this, by this one word, hurried. You ever felt like that? And maybe you would even say this, my whole life feels like that, out of peace. Feels like it's kind of hurried all the time. And maybe right now you're thinking, hey, preacher boy, this is not the time of the year to tell me to have peace. I got stuff to do, bills to pay, you want to raise the budget, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, come on. Shopping, all, right? But what would it be like? Just one second here. What would it be like if the Prince of Peace began to write your future story? What would it be like if you began to embrace this facet of who God is, that he's the prince of peace? Oftentimes when a person comes to know Jesus Christ and know if you're not a Christian, Christians' lives are far from perfect. I think they actually have more trouble in them than most, actually. 
But you know what? A Christian will often say this after they've come to know Christ. They will say this. They'll say, I'm experiencing a level of peace. My life might still have a lot going on, but there's something inside of me, the Spirit of God, that's giving me a level of peace. God is the Prince of Peace. And so this morning, I want to put all these four up now, and I just want to ask you this question. Which one of the four is for you? Which one of the four? Maybe it's never been a part of your backstory that, that you've had a wonderful counselor, that you've allowed God to be the one that calls the shots, that you've said, God, would you speak to me? Would you lead to me? Maybe it's a mighty God. You've always been the mighty one. I can do it. I got this. I built that. I'll build this. I, I fixed that. I'll fix this. What, what would happen if you said, you know what, I will no longer be the mighty God of my life, but God, I'll let you be who you are. Everlasting Father, some of you, you maybe even had a good dad growing up, but you've never embraced a perfect father. As much as I want to be a good dad, I will never compare to our Heavenly Father. If you embraced an everlasting father, and then lastly, the Prince of Peace, do you live with that sense that God, even though X, Y, and Z might not be going well, God, this year, when I look at the manger scene, God, my anticipation and my appreciation is that, God, you can give me peace. And so let's do this. I just want to pray for us and just really kind of pray through these together. So, yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just, first we thank you for a passage like Isaiah chapter 9. And God, I thank you. It's beautiful, the words that you gave us that describe who you are. And Father, this morning, we just want to say to you, maybe you're here today and you just need to say, today I submit to the mighty God. Today's the day that I say, God, I am no longer in charge of me, but God, would you be in charge of me because your ways are so much better. You created the entire universe. Surely you can handle my life. Lord, I desire to be forgiven. And so I, I put my faith, my trust in you. Maybe for you this morning, it's the idea of a wonderful counselor that God, would you direct me? God, would you speak into me? God, would your wisdom become my wisdom? Maybe for you this morning, it's everlasting. Father, God, could I have a father that would be unlike any earthly father could ever be? God, would you remind me this morning that you love to love me? It's not a duty for you, God. It's an absolute delight for you. And then, God, would you give me the sense of peace. Maybe for you this morning, is this your one? You embrace this idea, Lord, would you be my prince of peace? And would you give me a sense of peace with my life that I've never had before? Lord, we love you. And Father, we anticipate what you will do in our lives. And we thank you. Knowing the backstory, we appreciate so much more, Lord, who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.